0: The Mark Stein Show. And now here's Mark.
1: May eighth, twenty twenty, three quarters of a century ago, the German High Command surrendered unconditionally to the Allies and brought an end to the war in Europe. The Führer had committed suicide on April the 30th. His thousand-year Reich outlived him by just one week. It was from... both a bureaucratic and a public relations point of view, a bit of a messy end. May the 9th was supposed to be the big victory day, but an American reporter, Edward Kennedy of the Associated Press, broke the embargo, leaked the news and forced the leaders of allied nations to declare victory a couple of hours before the governing act of surrender had actually been signed by the Germans in Berlin. The commander of the Navy, General Admiral von Freudeburg, had signed the first instrument of surrender to Field Marshal Montgomery four days earlier at Lunenburg Heath. He was then present at the second surrender in the French town of Reims uh, to Eisenhower's representative, General Beetle Smith. The Soviets then insisted that actual formal surrender uh, had to take place in the enemy's capital city. So Admiral von Friedeberg Hustled home and was there for the third and final instrument of surrender the following day. Three unconditional surrenders within five days can take its toll on a man. hans George von Friedeberg subsequently took the Hitler way out and committed suicide. Upon being arrested by the British army. Uh, two hours before that final and definitive surrender, King George the Sixth spoke to the peoples of the Commonwealth and Empire at nine p m in London a time honoured and observed by his daughter in her own remarks on this anniversary. Back then, the highlight of the day for the young Princess Elizabeth and her sister Princess Margaret was that they managed to slip out of Buckingham Palace and mingle anonymously with the huge throngs in the Mall and central London. Here is part of what His Majesty said 75 years ago today.
0: We shall have failed and the blood of our dearest will have flowed in vain. If the victory which they died to win, does not lead to a lasting peace founded on justice and goodwill. To that, then, let us turn our thoughts on this day of just... of just triumph and proud sorrow and then take up our work again, resolved as a people to do nothing unworthy of those who died for us and to make the world such a world as they would have desired
1: for their children and for ours. King George VI, with just one flicker of a stammer on the word justice. Did we live up to that line about doing nothing unworthy of those who died? I don't know whether today's Europe is what they would have desired, as it would be all but unimaginable to them. It seems uh, for some of us a mere blink of an eye, from the 50th anniversary in 1995 to the 75th anniversary today. What will the centenary be like in the Europe of 2045. According to the Vienna Institute of Demography, a majority of Austrians under the age of 15 will be Muslim. At the time of the Third Reich's surrender in 1945, 90% of Austrians were Catholic. This is usually the point at which I do my Julie Andrews how-do-you-solve-a-problem-like-sharia line, but it's not really funny anymore. Why would the Islamic youth of Europe in 2045... Observe the anniversary of a great victory in which none of their own forebears took part. When you lose your future, you lose your past too. The son of Admiral von Friedeberg became a sociologist, which is pretty much the history of modern Germany in two generations of the same family. The current president of Germany says that the coronavirus shows we need European unity. Actually, the EU bureaucracy has been paralysed by COVID-19. So efficient at combating hypothetical, fantastical, far-distant crises like climate change, like sea levels in the Maldives a century from now, but unable to do anything but sit on its hands in an actual current crisis and leave Germans to act like Germans with an amazingly low fatality rate and Italians, Spaniards, Belgians to fend as best they can. We drew all the wrong lessons from World War II, not least the idea that nationalism is a bad thing and needed to be supplanted by an all-powerful globalism. The ensuing three-quarters of a century falls into two phases, roughly speaking. The first 45 years, the map frozen by the Cold War, the last three decades. A supposedly unipolar world in which one nation, America, has exercised a global dominance unknown to history. Does it feel like that? After two decades in Afghanistan and peace negotiations designed to ensure the Taliban return in some form or other to power? Admiral von Friedeberg would surely have laughed at that. Does it feel like that after the Chinese loose a global virus on the planet and we then discover somehow quote-unquote American companies have given Beijing a monopoly on medicine? My non sovereign, presently quarantined in Windsor Castle, is as the Emperor Franz Josef in his long Habsburg twilight. The pomp, the rituals, the ceremonies, the observances endure as they do on this day, but underneath everything that matters is crumbling. In America, everyone who matters shares the same globalist assumptions as that German president. We have a soupçon of good news concerning a man who was targeted by high-ups in the Obama administration, and by high-ups I mean starting at the very top, uh, during the three-month ludicrous, anachronistic, quote, peaceful transfer of power. A man I don't know personally, but a man who was ruined without the fig leaf of the most minimal probable cause. Yesterday, the dirty, rotten, stinking, corrupt Department of Justice threw in the towel and abandoned its case against Michael Flynn, uh, the incoming Trump national security adviser who turned immediately into the outgoing national security adviser before he had a chance to come in at all. Uh, The DOJ moved to dismiss its own case with prejudice, those last two words for non-legal types, meaning that they can never bring it again, and also apparently dismissed its own lead prosecutor, who has, quote, withdrawn not only from this case, but from all his current cases. Maybe he's already got his book deal or CNN legal analyst gig. The Department of Justice motion is worth reading in full. In my last trial with Cockwomble, Carrie Cats and Blaze TV, their lead lawyer, Geoffrey Mitchell of Brown George Ross, sought to ingratiate himself with the judge by saying he was brand new to the case, and while he stood by his own words, he wasn't prepared to stand on the records of all his Brown George Ross colleagues who'd been litigating the thing for the previous two years, including the twerp sitting next to him. Something of the same absurdity attends this new motion. Opening sentence... The United States of America hereby moves to dismiss with prejudice the criminal information filed against Michael T. Flynn. That's the name of the moving party, the United States of America. In uh, in Canada, it would be the crown, Regina versus Flynn, which is uh, cuddlier somehow, conjuring that uh, sweet old grandmother in self-quarantine. But in Washington, the prosecuting party is quote, the United States of America, which underlines that you're up against the most powerful entity on Earth. Well, except for China. But as with uh, Jeff Mitchell... At my last Cat's Blaze TV trial, this United States of America apparently is no relation to the United States of America that spent the last three years destroying Mr Flynn's life. Flynn's alleged crime quote requires a statement to be not simply false but materially false with respect to a matter under investigation. Materiality is an essential element of the offence. Materiality, moreover, requires more than mere relevance or relatedness to the matter being investigated Investigated. it requires probative weight, whereby the statement is reasonably likely to influence the tribunal in making a determination required to be made. United States v. Weinstock, 1956. The government is not persuaded that the January 24, 2017 interview was conducted with a legitimate investigative basis and therefore does not believe Mr Flynn's statements were material, even if untrue. Moreover, we do not believe... Uh, that the government can prove either the relevant false statements or their materiality beyond a reasonable doubt, unquote. That's what us non-lawyers call a statement of the obvious from whoever at the DOJ is now waggling the prosecutorial sock of the United States of America. The question is, why wasn't it obvious to the FBI or the DOJ three years ago and in the three years since? As I mentioned, a year or two back, I was myself interviewed on a totally different matter by the FBI, by a nice lady in a very distant field office. That's usually how it goes. Some branch long way from Washington, gets all gung-ho for a case, thinks it's the biggest deal in FBI history, goes out full throttle on it, and then it's the supervisors, the leadership, the rein it in and say, you know what, maybe there's no there there. In this instance, it was the leadership, the highest level management in both the FBI and the DOJ, the guys who are meant to rein in the overzealous types, that went full throttle on a case where there was no there there. And they knew it all along. And that's what moves this from overzealous agents to full-blown attempted coup territory. Here's what former FBI director James Comey tweeted in response to the motion to dismiss. Quote, The DOJ has lost its way. But career people, please stay because America needs you. The country is hungry for honest, competent leaders. That's the problem right there. If the country is hungry for honest, competent leadership, get off your ass and run for president. Quote-unquote career people can never be honest, competent leaders because they're civil servants. Operative word servants. Servants, not leaders. In self-governing societies, the leaders are accountable to the people through elections. That's why they get to make policy and the civil servants, servants enact it. The lying, degenerate Comey has just given you a revealing glimpse of his thinking. Oh, sure, once in a while the people go crazy and elect some nut like Trump. But the unelected, quote, career people are now and forever. And they're the real permanent leadership. That's why we're in the mess we're in. And by please stay because America needs you, he means just in case Trump gets re-elected in November. We want all you guys still there to screw him over and his associates over uh, for the next four years, just as if neither election had ever happened. I'll take your questions on this on our third birthday Clubland Q&A around the planet tomorrow, Saturday, right here at Stein Online. All with the comey sewage dripping all over the place. I feel the need for the pristine... Endless azure from my stateroom window. Something sophisticated and Mediterranean, please. Oh, yeah, that's just the ticket. Couldn't be groovier. This autumn's third annual Markstein cruise will be sailing from Rome. What? What's that? Oh no. No sooner do I start re-promoting the cruise as I did on Wednesday than it's off. Curses. Holland America has just cancelled its entire season, everything. Not just the Mediterranean, but the entire planet except the Caribbean where if the coronavirus turns them all into ghost ships again, they've at least got a private island they can pull up at. If you booked on the cruise, you'll have already received notification from us. We're considering what to do. Uh, Rescheduling for same time next year or earlier next year or substituting a Caribbean cruise or maybe just to be on the safe side because who knows what's going to happen in lockdown world. A dry land, Beano. Um, Jennifer Clarke writes from the Antipodes, Ah, oh, well, we knew it was coming, but it is certainly sad not to have any future gathering on the horizon. It would be great if something materialised once travel is safe that maybe isn't on a cruise ship. Anyone for a week at an Hawaiian resort or something. Uh, well, there's an idea, Jennifer. We're con- we're considering all the options at the moment. Uh, So if you like Jennifer's idea or you don't, uh, do let us know your thoughts. But I know a lot of listeners to this show are anxious to bust out and get together again. So we're going to see what we can do, either at sea or on dry land. Hawaii, Hawaii. Yes, well, at least it gets that groovy Riviera music out of my head. It's place usurped by an earworm even more difficult to dislodge.
0: Steins, Poem of the Week.
1: It's Mother's Day on Sunday and we'll be re-airing our annual special of all-time classic mother songs. The mother song can seem cheap and mawkish in its uh, universality. But on the other hand, a lot of mother poems, even by very distinguished poets, are not that great either. I've chosen not a universal poem, but one so extremely particular, I'd be surprised if anybody listening to this has found himself in the same circumstances or anything like it. But it does shed a little light on a great literary figure. We all know Edgar Allan Poe, one of the first... Americans to live off the earnings of his writing. Uh, Not terribly successfully, one has to say. The Raven was an instant sensation in 1845, but he got paid $9 for it. Still, he lives in posterity and is read to this day. Edgar Poe did not know his own mother. She died of consumption in 1811 when he was two years old. His father had skipped out on the family the year before and young Edgar wound up being raised by a Mr and Mrs Allen of Boston who added... Allen as Edgar's middle name. Despite being abandoned by his dad, Edgar stayed in touch with his paternal family, and by the late 1820s was living in Baltimore with his invalid grandmother, his widowed aunt Maria, and her young daughter Virginia. In 1835, he wed Virginia, though they were first cousins, and he was twice her age, being 26 and she 13. I've read conflicting accounts of how common or not cousin marriage was in Maryland at that time, and of how common marriage to a 13-year-old was. But whatever the answer to those questions, I should reckon marriage to a 13-year-old first cousin very uncommon indeed. There seems no doubt Edgar truly loved Virginia, but mostly as a kid sister. He called her sis or sissy. It is said on the one hand that they slept apart until she was 16, after which they enjoyed a normal marital relationship, and on the other hand that Virginia died a virgin. In January 1842, Mrs. Poe was singing and accompanying herself at the piano when she began to bleed terribly from the mouth. Consumption, or tuberculosis as we now say, the same incurable disease that had robbed Poe of knowing his own mother, and in this case, young Virginia was only 19. She died five years later, and a few hours afterwards, the widowed author realised he had no portrait of his wife and commissioned an artist to paint her as she lay dead in bed. He spent the remaining two years of his life brooding at her grave and then going home to his aunt come mother in law with whom he kept house until his own death in 1849. This is the poem he wrote to Marie Poe Clem, sister to his own father, mother of his beloved dead wife, and the woman he too called mother. First submitted to the short-lived flag of our union in the spring of 1849, and eventually published posthumously... By Leaflets of Memory in 1850, a year after the poet's death, a sonnet by Edgar Allan Poe, to my mother. Because I feel that in the heavens above, the angels, whispering to one another, can find among their burning terms of love none so devotional as that of mother. Therefore, by that dear name I long have called you you who are more than mother unto me, and fill my heart of hearts where death installed you in setting my Virginia's spirit free. My mother, my own mother who died early, was but the mother of myself, but you are mother to the one I love so dearly, and thus are dearer than the mother I knew. By that infinity with which my wife was dearer to my soul than its soul life. A poem from Me To You, one of the last Edgar Allan Poe ever wrote, published posthumously, To My Mother, being in fact his mother-in-law. To mothers and mothers-in-law alike, happy Mother's Day for this weekend. Mark's mailbox is on the air. Alyssa Angel, or possibly Eliza Angel, not sure of the pronunciation, but uh, beautifully, mellifluously, delightful... Whichever way, uh, Elisa Eliza is a first-month founding member of the Mark Stein Club from Swampland Central in the District of Columbia, and she writes, "'Besides the loss of freedom and rights during this lockdown, "'we're also being robbed of our time and opportunities to do the things we enjoy. "'I spoke to a 93-year-old friend today. "'She told me, "'This isn't fun. "'I don't want to die, but I've had a very happy life, "'and if something happens, so be it. "'I'd like to get back to my life.' "'She is very spry and healthy, but that won't last forever,' and everything she enjoys has been cancelled. Maybe the shutdown for the first 15 days was justified. Then for the next 15, it was tolerable. But the shutdown now is neither justified nor tolerable. I, too, would like to get back to my normal activities. I, too, won't live forever. We are being robbed by our governments of our freedom, our rights, our time and opportunities. Everyone should call their own executive officials and those in neighbouring towns and states and get all those thieves to reopen their areas. It can't just be a few of us calling and writing letters. It really has to be an army of people doing it and protesting more. And we need more Shelley Luthers. That's the heroic uh, Texan hairstylist now sprung from the big house. We need more Shelley Luthers opening their shops en masse. Well, thank you, Elisa, Eliza. I sympathise with your 93-year-old friend. We're being robbed of the right to... uh, What's the phrase here? Oh, yeah, the pursuit of happiness. A lot of happy things are gone that won't be coming back uh, because the profit margin's been wiped out. For a lot of restaurants, for almost all theatres and live music as a practical matter for the foreseeable future, my old friend uh, Cameron McIntosh, uh, the producer of uh, Fandom of the Opera and Les Miserables and Cats and so on, the uh, Cameron says that uh, there's going to be no theater until at least 2021. That's gone. A lot of things are gone. It's not even clear now that keeping your 93 year old chum under house arrest works in New York, according to Governor Cuomo. And take that for what it's worth, because he's the one who moved asymptomatic corona positive patients from the hospitals to the care homes at 24 hours' notice with devastating yet predictable results. And it will be an interesting test uh, to see whether that gets blamed on Cuomo or whether the media and the Democrats succeed in hanging it around Trump's neck. Um, But Governor Cuomo now says that two-thirds of patients in recent hospital admissions are people who've been staying home for the last few weeks. So they self-quarantined and caught in anywhere. And why not? We know nothing more for certain than we did when the great hunkering began. It's in droplets of breath. It's airborne, maybe for two metres, maybe for 13. Turns out this six-feet thing is just an arbitrary figure. It's in sweat. It's in semen. There's quite a bit of evidence to suggest it's in the air conditioning. Uh, When the TSA was created after 9-11, I said it was foolish to assume that that would be confined to the airport. And now here we are in a TSA world. The most important fact about 9-11 is that in the years after, the rate of Muslim immigration to the West doubled. And because of our inability to focus on the people most likely to be wanting to blow up American airliners. Americans now shuffle shoeless like a great bovine herd through their airport concourses now and forever. Very bad for health, by the way, all these TSA pat-downs and uh, shoeless shuffling. Likewise, the way to bet here is that the punishment will fall not on the Chinese Politburo. Do you really want to bet on jelly-spined Republicans being willing to stand up to their big donors? The punishment is more likely to fall, as it did after 9-11, on the general population. Go to our Tales for Our Times homepage and listen to my reading of The Machine Stops by E.M. Forster, which uh, uh, I serialised last year. It's a futuristic tale from a century ago that is literally about confining humanity inside in small flats on the grounds that it's unsafe to go outside. That's the premise of a lot of dystopian fiction. But by converse, let's just rewind five minutes to Edgar Allan Poe's wife dying of consumption, or uh, tuberculosis, as we now say. Then, as now, it was the number one fatal infectious disease on the planet. It's a tragedy if, as with... Uh, Edgar Allan Poe, it strikes more or less randomly on someone you expected to spend your next half century with. But the Victorians didn't let that glum fact of life hold back the great scientific, artistic, cultural, entrepreneurial energies of the greatest age of man. They accepted that in the midst of life, death walks among us waiting to strike. Mrs. Poe was named... Virginia, after an older sister, Virginia, who had died just 10 days before her birth. If all our experts are as clueless as they appear to have been these last three months, and I've always been sceptical about all this, ooh, it's only six months, one year to a vaccine talk, then COVID-19 is going to be the new consumption. We should still punish China for that. Because it didn't have to be this way, because 95% of these people wouldn't be dead had it not been for the gutless governments of the Western world who cannot speak truth because they're afraid of being called racist by CNN and the New York Times. But they didn't act. So now it's everywhere. It's in the semen. It's in the air conditioning. It's everywhere. And the question then becomes a subtler one. If it is the new consumption, then to deny us life when you've got no idea how to cure, treat, mitigate the scourge is to doubly punish us.
0: Mark Stein's Last Call.
1: The Chinese coronavirus has cut a swathe through many corners of the music world in recent days. Here with a quick tour, starting with this big hit, number eight in the United Kingdom in 1977. Whatever happened to David Greenfield? He got the COVID that made his lungs burn. Dave Greenfield was the keyboards player with the punkish band The Stranglers. He liked to do arpeggios, twiddly-deeing up and down, as you can hear on that record. But one day he came up with this harpsichord waltz, which the rest of the punky blokes were none too keen on initially, until with lyrics added, it became a rather untypical hit.
2: Golden brown Texture like sun Lays me down my mind she runs throughout the night. No
1: need to fight. Never a frown with golden brown. Dead of the Chinese coronavirus at the age of 71, Stranglers keyboardist Dave Greenfield. Whatever happened to Dragan Vucic, he was a well, he was, so to speak, a Macedonian content farmer, singer. Songwriter, TV host, he's well known across Macedonia as the lead vocalist of the band Coda and composer of the blockbuster hit "Od Lazim Nikom Nije Nokas Kao Meni," which means. I'm going away. Nobody feels like me tonight, whose perky tune belies its lyric. In 2005, Vucic was asked to write Macedonia's entry for the Eurovision Song Contest, Make My Day.
2: But honestly, it's plain to see.
1: Don't ask me, it's plain to see, I'm not the man to be, your cuddly toy. It finished in 17th place in the 2005 Eurovision Song Contest, the Macedonian entry Make My Day, performed by Martin Vucic, written by Dragon Vucic, dead of the Chinese coronavirus at the age of 65. Whatever happened to King Shooter? He was a rapper who misspelt F-words. F-U-C-C was his preferred spelling. King Shooter sounds to my inexpert hippity-hop ears like just the usual swaggering attitude. Swaggering attitude. But this track's a little different. If I could talk to him... The hip hopper reflects on family, friends, fellow musicians, lost or discarded on the road to success. Shit, man. Y'all don't understand. I really went through
2: some shit in my life. Wish I could talk to my mother. I do. Just to tell her I love her. I love you. And she ain't raise no sucker. At I all. got up out that gutter. I did. I take care of my brother. Me Cause I know that's what you wanted. Wish Word. I could smoke with my cousin. Broke a heart and tell that nigga I miss him. I love y'all. And at the house won't diss him. At he all. was blood and I'm cripin'. I never treated you different. At all. We even fucked the same bitches. Wish I could just hold my daughter. Skylar. I swear I lost you too soon. I did. That shit turned me to a goon. I couldn't yeah. cry in that room. I could I had to be there for strength. Why? But I ain't been right since. I they asked me how do I do it? How? I put my heart in this music. I do. But I was robbing a shoe and I was surrounded
1: by snakes. Did he just say what I thought he said? Even bleep the same bleeps. Swagger and attitude. In the old days when the rappers died four and a half decades short of getting to celebrate fifty years in showbiz, it was because they'd been shot in some Interne sign hip-hop feud. Not anymore. King Shooter. Dead not in a shootout, and in need only of a shot against the Wu flu, felled by the coronavirus at the age of 24. Whatever happened to Musica popular? Down in Brasilia, it's in a bad way. Brazil is going through a tough time with the coronavirus. They have the highest number of deaths anywhere in the Southern Hemisphere. Globally, they're in sixth place behind the US, UK, Italy, Spain, France. Among the dead are a lot of figures from Musica Popular Brasileira, including psychiatrist-turned-lyricist Aldo Blanc. Here's his longtime composing partner, João Bosco, with one of their most popular songs, Latin Lover.
2: Nos Que o começo é sempre, sempre inesquecível E no entanto, meu amor Que coisa incrível Esqueci nosso começo inesquecível Mas me lembro De uma noite sua mãe tinha saído Me falaste de um sinal Adquirido numa queda de patins Paquetá Mostra, tu eu ainda dói A voz mais rouca. E os beijos Cometas percorrendo o céu da boca As lembranças acompanham até o fim. Um lado em um lado. Que hoje morre sem revólver, sem ciúmes, sem remédio de tédio.
1: Music by Zhao Bosco. Words by Aldo Blanc. Dead of the Chinese coronavirus at the age of 73. Finally, just for me, a non-COVID death this week. The biggest selling female pop star ever to come out of the British West Indies. This is a happy sound from a lady who gave a great deal of happiness to the world and didn't, by some accounts, get all that much back in return. This was the hit that in 1964 put Scar on the map, that put Chris Blackwell's fledgling island records on the map, which in turn led to him putting reggae on the map. But before Bob Marley, before Grace Jones, before U2 and Chris Blackwell's other stars... There was a diminutive smiling daughter of a sugar plantation overseer from the parish of Clarendon in Jamaica Millie. worldwide for Miss Millie Small dead at the age of 72 Rod well, Stewart insists that's not him on harmonica she said it was <laughs> Marshmallow World as a Christmas single. And a year or two later, I did a disco version of it. And Alan Combs said to me, What are you going to do next year? A bossa nova Marshmallow World? And I thought, You know, he's got a point. And our producer happened to have been remastering a lot of Scar tracks uh, and working with a lot of scar bands and I said let's do a scar marshmallow world matter of fact see if Millie's available and is doing a duet and he said you'll never get her she's a recluse now I had tea with her and she'll talk about anything but the music uh, when she was inducted by royal command into Jamaica's order of distinction she wasn't there for the ceremony and I said, no, no, we're going to try. We're going to reach out. And then Carrie Katz and his crappy loser network broke my contract and stole two years of my life in litigation hell. And that's the trouble with malicious prosecution. If you're lucky, you can get back the money they stole, but you can never get back the time they stole. That's, uh, that's just for me. But I hope Millie knew how happy she made the world with just two minutes of pure joy, way back in 1964. Long live the Mark Stein Club, cries Joris van Rossum of the Netherlands upon our third birthday. Thank you for resubscribing and signing up for another year. Uh, As for long life, we've got a ways to go yet to equal the Queen. uh, That's my Queen Joris, not yours. The Dutch Queen's Tend to take early retirement, of uh, which I do not really approve. Um, but as part of our uh, efforts towards living long and our Stein Club third anniversary observances, and within our present technical limitations, we're going to try and do a Clubland Q&A live around the planet at 3 p.m. North American Eastern Time tomorrow Saturday. That's 7pm Greenwich Mean Time, or 19 hours if you prefer. Uh, 9pm Saturday for our Dutch members like Joris and uh, the rest of Western Europe. If the live thing's a bust, it'll be on tape delay an hour later, but we're going to do our best. Hope you'll join me. Stay safe, stay free.
0: Join us next time for another edition of The Mark Stein Show. The Mark Stein Show is a production of Mark Stein Enterprises and Oak Hill Media. Rights reserved.